First of all, last week we talked about the gospel. Okay, Tom did a great job of exhorting and teaching out of what is the gospel. Well, tonight in our next section of the first session of this year, called The Beginning, we're going to talk about being born again. How many of you have heard the term born again? Right? We're pretty familiar with that. Well, how many of you would like to know a little bit more about what that means? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is true. In fact, it's the, it's the most true thing <laughs> that ever existed, Lord. And God, in a, in a day and age where people try to come up with their own versions of the truth, we know that all of that is a lie, but your word remains true forever, and it will never fail. And you stand by your word, Lord. You're faithful to it, Lord. You watch over it to see it performed. And God, your word brings life to us. The Bible says, may the word of God be implanted into our hearts to save our souls. Lord, we thank you for that tonight. We ask that, Lord, your presence would be here. And that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move in power in us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're going to talk about being born again, I think it's worth noting, and just briefly, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, that in order for us to understand why we need to be born again, we first need to accept the understanding that we are all dead. Okay? We are all dead. How do I know this? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, in chapter 2, God says to Adam in the garden, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in that day you will surely die. And we all know what happens. He and Eve eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and they die a spiritual death. So to understand that we need to be born again, we have to first understand that we're already dead. The minute that you were born into this planet, every second after that, you started dying. We are all on the road to death. But... That's the first death. So what does being born again talk about? Well, he's really talking about being born again spiritually, being born again in Christ. Yes, our physical bodies will die away someday, but that's the first death. The death after that is the second death. And whether you're born again or not determines whether or not you go to heaven and do not face that second death or whether you go to judgment and you do end up in that second death. So something to keep in mind here. We need to be born again because we are already dead. So when we use the phrase born again, it's not some trite thing. It's not some cute little saying that somebody came up along the way. No, it really is a rebirth. It is a rebirth from death. And to really kind of open this up, there's a great verse in John. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So we all have to be born again. Well, let's talk about a little bit what that means to be born again. And if you have handouts at your table, there's some bullet points that we're going to kind of follow along with about what it means to really be born again. First of all, if you look at the first one, it says, God does all the work. Say it with me. God does all the work. Amen. What does it mean to have him do all of the work? Well, he chooses you. It really is that simple. He does the work in choosing you to be born again. James chapter 1 says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What's the action taking place there? Of his own will. He's talking about God there. Of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. First Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's that word again, we're dead. He's causing us to be born again. Who's causing us? God is causing us to be born again according to his great mercy. Not somebody else's great mercy, not the Pope's great mercy, not the President's great mercy. Nobody else can cause you to be born again. Only God can cause you to be born again through the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible says no one comes to the Father unless by the drawing of the Holy Spirit. If you're here tonight and you've been born again, you have been born again by God. It was not you that chose him. You made the decision to follow him, but he initiated it. He initiated it in your heart. That in and of itself is a miracle and is worthy of being noted of. There's another verse right after it. Now, this is a wonderful verse, and I want to camp out on this for just a little bit. This is out of Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. This is God prophesying through Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The reason why this is really important, this is from the Old Testament. This was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. The reason why I want to point this out, and this is probably just a personal note, I don't particularly like it when people say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, but I don't like God because he was that mean, vengeful, wrathful God in the Old Testament. That's so unbelievably false. Unbelievably false. First of all, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which means from the time that he was born here into earth in flesh to the time of creation in the garden, he has not changed. He didn't change before that. He's not going to change in the future. Saying that God is somehow different in the Old Testament in regards to, well, anything than he was in the New Testament is wrong. And it puts God at odds with who Jesus is, which is not true because they're the same. Jesus is the Son of God. They are a part of the Trinity. There are three distinct persons in the Godhead. They are with perfect unity. God has not changed his mind about your salvation. Okay, He's not at odds with himself about your salvation. He never has been and he never will be. So when we see verses like that in the Old Testament, pay special attention. Because it's very important to understand that whether you walk through this life or not, or whether you struggle in this life or not, we all will struggle that God has not changed his mind about your salvation. He hasn't. It held true then, it holds true now. So important. A couple other things I want to point on this verse. These are some things I want you to hang on to. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Again, that ties in with being born again. It's new birth. It's rebirth. It's being alive again. And I will remove the heart of stone. Okay, this is really great right here. The Bible says that the deceitfulness of sin hardens the heart. He's prophesying of really what Jesus is going to do. He's saying, I'm going to remove sin from your midst. Now, does that mean we don't struggle with sin? No, of course not. We do struggle with sin. But, but the power of it over your own heart changes. I'll take a little bit of liberty here. When I got saved... It wasn't that I immediately stopped sinning. 
but I can tell you this much. One day, I wanted to be a lech or whatever other vice I was in in that moment. I did not want to do those things. What's happening there? It's God giving me a new heart. It's giving me a new spirit. And if you're born again, you know what that feels like. Amen. The second point of all this is that salvation and being born again is a mystery. What does that mean? Well, I don't fully understand how it works. (laughs) I can't point to my own heart and take it out and dissect it and say, well, this is the, the actual, like, physical, visible part that God changed. But salvation is a mystery. Being born again is a mystery. Not just because, like I said, you can't necessarily see the, the physical change of your actual heart because that's really ultimately what God is changing. But also, when you start to break it down, you kind of wonder, like, what does God actually get out of it? You know, when we think in human terms, a lot of times, and you realize what God did so that we could be saved, and then we look at us in our miserable state, and we think, I wouldn't have saved me. <laughs> I was miserable. <laughs> like, I was a wretched person. Even if I didn't do half the things I did, I was still unworthy of it. And you start to wonder, it's like, well, God, how could you have done that? That is the mysterious part, and that's where you just kind of have to accept it by faith and say, Lord, I, I don't fully understand how you could love us this much so that you would allow your own son to be beaten and crucified for me and for all of humanity. But I'm going to receive it, Lord, with gratitude and with gratefulness. It's a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. There it is again. Dead in the trespasses and sin. We were all dead. Before we were born again, we were dead. <laughs> Plain and simple. And there was nothing that could bring us back to life except the precious blood of Jesus. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's the prince of the power of the air? It's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. <laughs> when we're in sin, we were in disobedience. When we're not in sin, well, hopefully we're not walking in disobedience. But we're going to get to that next. Ephesians 2.5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. There it is again. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead and being born again, now we're alive in him. Are we going to die a physical death? Yes. Are we going to die a spiritual death now that we've been born again? Nope. And God won't take that away from you. It says, by grace you have been saved. What is grace, really? It's a gift. It is. It's a gift. It's unmerited, undeserved gift. Well, really, all gifts are undeserved. If they're deserved, then it's earned. It's wages. It's you've worked for it. You know, Christmas was just a couple weeks ago. You know, if you receive gifts, it's because whoever gave them to you, well, they love you, right? You didn't spend all year trying to earn them. If you spend all your trying to earn them, at that point, it's like a job. It is not so with grace. You can't earn it. It's just given. And we have but one simple task, and that is to just receive it with thanksgiving. Which actually leads us to our next point. And this kind of goes back to the fact that God does all the work. And this is the third point. God does the work, and we bear the fruit. Okay. 
Now, this is where this gets really fun. Because I think people like to ask, well, how do I know I'm born again sometimes? How do I know, how can I see the evidence of my salvation? That's a fair question sometimes, right? Well, any different. How do I know that I'm born again? Practical elements of this and some things that can be seen. You'll have some bullet points on your handout. And the first one is an obedience to Christ. This is out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. I want to talk about that statement there, practice of sinning. Do we know what practice of sinning is? It's the conscious, continuous cultivation of wickedness. A conscious, continuous cultivation of wickedness. Like I was telling before in my testimony, when I was in sin and when I did not know Christ, I wanted to go and do bad things. I wanted to go and drink. I willfully got up, got in my car, drove to the store, bought alcohol, came home, and I drank. I willingly chose to do that. Okay, that is a practice to the point of drunkenness. That is a practice of sinning. Okay, that is not the same as a momentary lapse or a trespass where you say, man, I messed up. I had a weak moment. Lord, forgive me. Please change me. Those moments of weakness where you're working out your salvation versus the moments of, nope, I don't care about the consequences of these decisions. I'm going to continually go and do this. Those moments of weakness are not the same as the practice of sinning. I really want to stress this point because there's a common lie that I think the devil likes to kind of throw at people. It's a question that he likes to ask in those moments. And sometimes that moment comes after maybe you've heard a message or you've read something that is really convicting and you're grieved even over your own condition, over your own sin. And this is what the lie usually sounds like. Are you even really saved? Like, are you sure? I know you had that big altar moment on, on Sunday, but it's Monday now. Are you sure even that like anything really happened? You don't feel any different. You weren't even crying at the altar. There are lots of people that are crying. Are you sure you're saved? Okay, I'll give you guys a free one. That's the devil. If you're here tonight and you've given your life to God and you've asked him to rescue you and you're being asked that question, it's not because you're not saved. He's not asking that question to unsaved people. I wasn't sitting on the couch in my sin and Dell asked me, Jeff, are you saved? And I thought, gee, Willikers, devil, you know, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I better go to a church and find out. He probably tried that one time to like an unsaved person and realized it just pushes them right back into the church because they want to find out whether or not they're saved. It's like, okay, don't do that anymore. When he's asking that question, it's because he's trying to push you out of the church and to get you to doubt that God has actually done something, even though he already has. The Bible says that Jesus was slain before the foundations of the world which means he chose you before you were even born. So when you hear that question, just know that that's the devil. Okay? Can I encourage you in that? It's going to come up. You may have weak moments, you may have some really convicting moments in God, and he may try to kick you while you're down and say, are you really even saved? It's like, you know what, devil? Yes, I am. Thank God forevermore that I'm saved. Thank you, Lord, that I'm born again to a living hope that is imperishable and incorruptible that is waiting for me in heaven. Thank you, Lord. I thank you that you are never going to take that away from me. So what else does being born again give us? Well, it gives us protection from those kinds of lies. Protection from Satan. 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you know that if you're born again, you have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you, and that spirit overcomes the devil infinitely more. It's not like a 50-50 battle. You know, it's not like, oh, it's, it's going to be close this week. I don't know who's going to win. Is it going to be God or is it going to be Satan? No, he is infinitely more powerful than Satan, infinitely. The devil does not even come close. And that spirit, that same spirit, which has overcome the grave, which has overcome sin, lives in each of you if you are born again. Now, have I arrived at this? Of course not, because we are still all learning how to work out our salvation daily with fear and trembling. We're still all learning what it means to surrender our old life and to give it fully to God and surrender all of our heart so that sin no longer have those same strongholds. But let me tell you right now, there is nothing but victory for you in that because God has already won it for you. And we just have to continue to receive that with thanksgiving and receive it with joy. Being born again allows us to love like Jesus loved. How many of you had a hard time really loving people before you were born again? I'll raise my hand. (laughs) I really struggled with it. Yes, some of us are raising two hands. (laughs) Like, you know, it was hard. Maybe you love the people that were like really nice to you. But you know how you know you're born again? Is when you're able to love people even when they treat you really poorly and you keep loving them and you're grieved when you see them suffer. You don't want to see them suffer. You want what's best for them. You want them to have the same love that you have because it's wonderful, right? I'm grieved when I see even my own family members like, oh, if you only knew, God is so lovely. He's so kind. He's not mean. Stop saying that. You learn to love each other. This whole room is actually evidence of that. This is an eclectic Very diverse group. We have the youngest to the very young, one-year-old, all the way up to, I won't say how old. (laughs) I'm I'm being careful. But there's nothing, there is nothing that man can create, that man can fabricate, that can cause people of such a diverse group and such a multifaceted background to come together willingly and continue to love each other even when they struggle even when we see each other at our worst. I know some people in this room who have seen me at my worst. And you all still love me. By the way, this is being recorded, so you all have to still love me. So, But it's true. We all love each other. You know who did that? God did that. God made us love each other. I'm very grateful for that. Our lives have been enriched by each other. Why? Well, because he caused us to love each other. And then we get to have the joy of being with each other. It's just this one big love feast. It's wonderful. Next point is that we get to overcome the world. When we've been born again, we're able to overcome. Okay, I'll make a little distinction. So there's protection from Satan and overcoming the world. We reference 1 John chapter 5 here. But what does it really mean to overcome the world? Well, you're not pushed... (laughs) along by the culture of this age to go and do what the rest of the world wants to do when it leads to sin and leads to certain death. You're able to say, you know what? I may be an outsider because of this, 
I may be ostracized by friends. I may be ostracized by family. I may lose a job over this, but thank God forevermore that I am born again. And I do not have to go the way of this world. I do not have to go on the course way of destruction that is leading to hell and the grave. I can go and walk the narrow path and have a life with Jesus. And then when I do die, I get to be with him for all eternity. Thank God forevermore. Thank you, Lord. Thankful for that. And last point is that born again produces the fruit of the Spirit. Say it with me. Fruit of the Spirit. I'll go ahead and read this verse. This is out of Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Hallelujah. You notice that those fruits, they're not things like you get a better ministry, um, more money, your hair grows back, or, you know, you, you stop aging. Like, those aren't the fruits of the Spirit. I know some people are like, well, I don't know, Jeff, those sound pretty good. No, what I'm trying to say is those are not evidence of salvation. That's not evidence of salvation working in you. This is an important thing to remember. Not at any point in the New Testament or in all of Scripture does Jesus or any of the other writers point to activity or works or anything like that or miracles even as evidence of regeneration or salvation in your working in your life. Not once. If you really think about it, that should take some pressure off of you to have to perform. You mean I don't have to go and do a bunch of things to show that I'm saved or to prove that I'm saved or to even earn salvation? Well, no, you don't, because first of all, you can't earn salvation to begin with. But second, even if you didn't do those things, that doesn't mean that salvation isn't working. Be very careful of judging people and looking at them from an outward perspective and saying, well, I don't know, they're not, they're not doing a whole lot. Are they even really saved? At that point, you're doing the same lies that the devil said. Don't do that. But instead, going back to Ezekiel, he gives us a new heart and a new spirit. And that new heart and new spirit causes us to have that fruit cultivated in our lives. And then we want to go and do those things. It doesn't that we do the things to get saved. It's that a heart change happens that is still a mystery. And we end up wanting to go and do those things. So think about it this way. Christmas was what? Three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. You know, the popular cultural thing with Christmas, or secular thing, if you will, is Santa Claus. You know, the story sounds great. If you're on the nice list, you get presents. If you're on the naughty list, you get a lump of coal or nothing at all. And it sounds all fine and well until you realize, well, in order to get the gift, I have to be nice. I have to do good. That's not so with being born again in Christ Jesus. It's actually the other way around. The gift comes to you and changes you, and then you go and do those good things. He's already given you the gift. He gives you the gift freely and says, look, yes, you have been wretched. We all have been wretched. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he gives us the gift first and then says, the gift is going to change you, not the other way around. Amen?